I want to jump right into some things tonight. Uh, we started last night looking at one of the key figures, the big names of the Bible, one of the key people in all of history, really, and that is King David in the Old Testament, one of the biggest names and amazing people that God did the most powerful things through. And I want to continue with some of this study. Here's what I found. I mentioned it last night in a study some, or in some research that some people did. Uh, they found that in America, and I think this is true elsewhere, that people are becoming, in, Christian people are becoming increasingly biblically illiterate. And so one of the things that I feel is mandatory on me is that uh, I do my part to help dig into Scripture so that people that we have the opportunity to minister to begin to tie together some of those, some of those uh, spiritual ideas in a way where they can really be applying it in their life and feel like they're becoming more literate when it comes to scriptural things. We don't want to just show up at church. We want to really advance in a way where we learn how to stand, we learn how to walk with God, we learn how to please him and walk it out in a way that is going to last the rest of our life. Glory to God. So with that in mind, I want to just plow into some things. And it is about this one man, David, but there is so many things. It, like everything in Scripture, it's, it's not confined to a time frame it is truth that comes alive in a person. We see it, but then we see how that same truth is alive today, and we can benefit from it. So I, I want to, uh, ooh, I, I'm just looking for the, I've got so many things going on in me, I can barely stand myself. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I want to jump in to, to uh, Psalm. Let's start in a, one of David's Psalms. And before we read from, from it, it's going to be Psalm 55, by the way. Psalm 55. But let me ask you some questions. Do you believe that there's something specific that you could do in the next three weeks that would have the potential of making your personal life, your family life, your business life significantly worse? Do you think it's possible that over these next three weeks you might do something that would make things worse? You could. Look, I'm not recommending it. We're not going to preach on how to do that. But So let me quickly ask a second question. Do you believe that there is something specific that you could do in the next three weeks that would significantly affect Maybe your personal life, your family life, your financial life in a way that would make it significantly better. Do you believe that you have the right to make that choice? What we've just determined or what we've just agreed on is that the choices we make, whether it's in the next three days, three weeks, three months, three years, the choices we make now are going to significantly impact a lot of areas of our life. And it could either impact our life for the better or for the worse. Oftentimes, we look at our walk with God and the things that we see in God and hear about in God, and we kind of 
get lost in what is going on on a daily basis and how it connects with these good things about God. Sometimes people question, why is it God would allow that to happen to such a wonderful person? whatever it might be. How is it that that person uh, had that happen? And uh, they love the Lord. They go to church. Why would God allow that? And there's a lot of people extremely confused about God. And I find people are largely confused about God because they are just largely confused. I don't, I don't mean to sound condescending in some way. I guess it does. But the, the point is we have the right to make choices that make a difference. Whether uh, God is planned for something or not is not always the key issue. You see, there's been a, a wrong kind of thinking among Christians. And it's everywhere this way. And it is. It, now, I may, I may shoot something that you really like right now. And I, I, you'll get over it. But. It's the idea that God is in control. I mean, we like that idea. We like the idea that God's the one that's planned all of this. It really helps alleviate our sense of responsibility. Because after all, I mean, we don't know why God has planned these crazy things to happen. But apparently, in his infinite wisdom, he saw fit to allow that to happen. God's in control. I, th I find really the idea of us declaring that God is in control is really our way of saying, I don't have a clue what's going on here. <laughs> but God is, is in control. I had a great conversation with a young lady and uh, I was speaking at a, at a conference in a church in El Paso, Texas a few years ago. And uh, I spoke on one midweek evening and then I was speaking again the next morning and then somebody else was coming for that evening and and I was actually leaving leaving town after I was finished so I had spoke just last night that morning I was up and I was in the little breakfast room that this uh, hotel offered to me and and uh, it was open to anybody but uh, nobody was there I'm not sure what that says about the food, but that's another subject. Uh, but there was the young lady that was attending to it. She worked there at the hotel. And so I went in. I was er quite early. I had a few hours before I was going to be leaving. And so uh, I'd gone in, and I'm in my jeans, which uh, I like jeans. And I'm in my Harley Davidson shirt, which I like Harley Davidsons. And, uh, and I'm always asked if I'm wearing one of the shirts, do you actually have a motorcycle or you just wear the shirt? So I actually have the motorcycle, and then I also wear, anyway, you don't care. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, you know, I'm sitting down having a little bite, and uh, she just strikes up a conversation, so, uh, and she was one that asked, uh, so you, 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 do you have the bike or just, just the shirt? And, uh, you know, you just want to smack people in the love of Jesus over that, but... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, no, I've got the bike and everything. And so then she said, well, so what brings you to El Paso? I said, well, last night I was speaking at a church. And I'm actually speaking again this morning. And I said, they're actually having somebody uh, tonight. You know, I'll bet you would enjoy going. You ought to go. Well, that didn't bring a warm response, but it actually didn't bring any response at all. So she said, uh, she said this. She said, so, so are, you a, a, are you a minister? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. She said, really? She said, uh, could I ask you a question? Oh, I love this stuff. Could I ask you a question? I said, sure, what is it? She said, you know, I'm Catholic. 
I thought, you know, I'm in El Paso, Texas. This lady's Mexican. She's Catholic. I mean, it just seemed obvious to me. But she said, I'm Catholic. And she said, I've, I've just always wondered why Christians like you have such a problem with Mary. I said, Mary, I love Mary. I don't have a problem with Mary. Mary is in all the right places in the Bible. Are you kidding me? She's there, obviously, at the birth of Jesus. She's there. But she was also there during the ministry of Jesus. She is there at the foot of the cross. She's even in the upper room when the Holy Spirit first came. I said, I love Mary. She's in all the right, I love her, but I just don't pray to her. And I said, and here's why. I said, the reason that I don't pray to Mary is because when I read Scripture, and I do read the Bible, and when I do, I find that Jesus told us exactly how to pray. And even the disciples picked up on it, and they talked about prayer. And neither the disciples that wrote Scriptures nor Jesus himself, nobody talked about praying to Mary. So the, there's description in here as to how to pray, so that's how I pray. Oh, okay. And that seemed to satisfy. And yet that was not really the question she wanted to ask. She said, could I ask another question? I said, sure. I'm finishing up my cup of coffee. And she said, uh, I was listening to this minister on the radio. Ooh, that's information that's good to know. My sisters have been listening to this minister and and they have told me I needed to listen to this. Oh, so she is surrounded by people like me. So she's on a slippery slope. And she said, but as I listened to this minister, he said something that has bothered me. She said, he said, we don't know why God is allowing all of the killings that are taking place over in Juarez. Now, you may not have heard about it, but there was some huge problems are still going on but there was a, a period of time where in Juarez right across the border in Mexico uh, from El Paso um, there was uh, killings in the street drug lord problems I mean it was just brutal and for weeks and weeks it was every day in the news what was going on not only in Juarez but a great deal of it was there in that city and so she has heard a minister now say, we don't understand why, and here was the question, why God is allowing all of these killings to take place. And she said, so why is God allowing that? I said, dear, this is a great question, and I am going to so shock you with my answer. I'm going to need another cup of coffee first. So I went and got some coffee and came back. You know, you've got to let people salivate for an answer. as one or two of you might be doing right now. <laughs> Why is God allowing all of this killing to take place? And, you know, you could really change that question a little bit. Why is God allowing a variety of different things you could put in there? But this was her concern. And I said, okay, you ready? Because I'm going to shock you. Are you ready? I said, are you ready to be shocked for this? Yes, yeah, what, what is it? And she said, I said, God actually is not allowing this at all. He actually has nothing to do with this. You see, I, I knew I would shock you. 
as maybe I've even shocked some here in this audience. See, we've had the misconception that every single thing that happens is something God has designed to have happen. And yet, surely, when you look at the history of your life, you cannot really think that God wanted all of the trash you've gone through to really happen. But God is in control. And yet, he doesn't control how you drive. He doesn't control what you eat. (laughs) He doesn't. All right, that's enough. So... I said, so let me give you this example. I'm I'm still talking to this lady. I said, so let me just give you this example. I said, now, uh, you're married. You have children? Yes, I have two children, one one boy, two boys, and uh, told me the ages. And I said, well, fine. One day, your your little six- or seven-year-old son comes running into the room, holding his thumb, mama, 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 mama. He's panicked. He has cut his thumb down to the bone. Blood is going everywhere. It's all over him already. Mama, 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 mama. And man, you go into action. I said, I got a question for you. I thought you told me you love your son. She had. I said, why would you allow your son to cut his thumb like that? What kind of mother are you? You know, I got a little bit. <laughs> that you would allow your son to cut his thumb open like that. What is the matter with you? I said, did, did you allow that? No, I didn't. Did you want that? Yeah, I mean, it hadn't happened, but she was in it. And, uh, and I said, did you want that for your son? Absolutely not. You don't want that. And you didn't allow it. But he did it. So what do you do? You go into action. When he comes, you go into action to make it right, to heal him up, calm him down, fix his wound. I said, God didn't do this, and he's not killing people in the streets. He's reaching out to every one of them. He's in love with them. He wants them well, wants them healed. But people still have to come to him to get some help. That's the way it goes. The world's confused about God. The world's confused about people like us. What is the matter with you people? You believe in a loving God that'll kill you? Or like one guy told me, I watched this on Christian television. This, this was quite a shocker for me. He said uh, that God had run him over with a bus <laughs> to get him to a hospital. That's what he said. He had said, like, Christian testimony. He was driving down the road, minding his own business. A bus crossed over on the wrong side of the road. Bam! Head-on collision. Threw him out of the car. He was broken all over his body. They peeled him off the pavement. They took him to a hospital. He was there for, I don't know how long, man. He was a mess. But his testimony was, at least that's what he called it, that God had sent that bus. God had sent that bus to run him over so that God could get him into the hospital. I've thought about that many times. Lord, you want me in a hospital? Fine. You just tell me which one. I'll check myself in. (laughs) No bus. Just don't send a bus to come get me. (laughs) Dear Lord. He said, you know, well, you know, I was able to pray for somebody and God used my time while I was there and everything. And no doubt. I mean, you know, God does that. But, you know, you could just kind of stroll in and talk to those same people. 
God just doesn't send stuff like he, he He doesn't break your leg so that he could prove to you he would heal it. <laughs> and so people are confused because Christians are confused. Yes, God loves me. You know, he broke my neck. He'll hurt you. He'll hurt you bad. And then he'll heal you. Why didn't he just leave you alone? He would have been healed. <laughs> if he just didn't. Anyway, so people are so confused about this stuff. Christians are confused, and we have to be clear. People, are, people think you guys, people like you, you're nuts. You go to church how many times this week? Some people, they'll go to church in the morning and then again in the evening on Sunday. What's the matter? You didn't get it the first time? You had to come back? People, that's how people think about us. And then some of us, man, we'll take a vacation. We'll go down, uh, find some convention to go to and go day and night. Nine in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. Sit through meeting after meeting. Man, they say, you guys need to get a life. We got a life. His name is Jesus. And it's not about the meetings. It's about the discoveries. It's about learning how to make those quality decisions that make a difference, that turn our lives right side up. It's seeing through the events and situations in life. Those are the things that these kinds of times are designed for. Glory to God. Have you found Psalm 55 yet? That's all the time I'm going to give you except for however long it takes me to find it. Psalm 55. One of the great psalms of David that was, he said something here that is almost shocking, and it would be shocking if it wasn't so much like what many of us have said. And in Psalm 55, beginning in verse 6, he said, So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away from here and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander off, and I'd just remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Anybody ever said anything kind of like this? You know, oh, I would just like to fly away. If I could just go, nobody would even miss me. It would be weeks before anybody knew I was even gone or cared, and they may not even care then. Sometimes people can f say some of these exact things in one word. Oh, that I just had wings to fly away. What is it that brought David to such a statement as this? Because what this indicates is there's some trouble going on in a person's life. Things aren't all that great. This is a great king. This is a great leader. He's king, man. King gets a lot of things that he really wants. You know, I mean, I've never been one like he was, but uh, I can just imagine the king, <laughs> what he wants. He just says it, and man, people go into action. And yet he's at a place where he says something like this. Oh, that I could just fly away from here, wander off. You know, lots of people have faced lots of issues. Don't kid yourself and don't be fooled. Anybody in this room has faced real troubles of one type or another. Everybody has. Life is messy. It's full of issues, full of confrontations, full of discussions, we call them, full of a lot of anxieties and issues. And the Christian life doesn't exempt us from that. The Christian life, however, 
when we live it out and seek it out the way God's laid it out, it will provide us with the substance, the perspective, the ideas, the energy, the strength, the power to not just endure it, but to conquer what has come up against us. And it's really when we settle that we are going to live as conquerors, even when there are big issues that hit us and maybe keep hitting us, we're not quitting, we're not giving up, we're finding the path that God has for us to live this out and conquer on every level in the name of Jesus. And if it takes me from now until they bury me, I'm going to stick with that. Nothing's changing it. David had that kind of mindset, really. And yet in the midst of this great prayer of Psalm 55, he does give us a window into some of the struggle of what he's thinking. One of the great things about King David and why we love him so much is because he does give us a window into his soul and his thinking. He was so honest in these psalms that he would write, that he would lay out so many things. And Psalm 55 is one of those. In fact, I want us to go through several things in this psalm because I want you to see the trouble that he really was facing and what he was doing about it. Psalm 55 was written as David became aware of what happened and what was being done by two of the truly significant people in his life. Those two men in David's life that David loved dearly. These weren't the only two that David loved and worked with and had uh, involvement and, and dealings with, but these two were hugely significant people. One of them was his own son, Absalom. The other was a best friend, a confidant, someone that had been so close to David, closer than nearly anybody else, a man named Ahithophel. And yet, a point in time came where David found that both of these men had consorted together to destroy David, throw him off of his throne, kill him, and take over the leadership of Israel. These two men, what happened to these two men that would put them in such a mindset and a mind frame that they would handle David in that way? I want to take you through as briefly as I can a little of the history as to what did happen. Not only what happened to set them in that mindset against David, but what David did and how it turned out and what ended up turning out for these two that rose up against David. And here's why we're going through this kind of history. Because all of us face questions about the way people are dealing with us and how we are to deal with them. A huge part of the Christian life is discovering how to navigate the waters of dealing with people. Somebody once said, and I'm sure it wasn't just one person, there's actually been many people say it, the ministry would be great, church would be great, it just wasn't for people. <laughs> that's, 
Now, there's a, a clear problem with that mindset and that thinking, but I think all of us maybe have felt something similar. That You know, church is not always the easiest place. As a matter of fact, in many cases, church can be some of the toughest places to be on the earth. A, a, a present, you know, uh, church excluded from that, of course, of course. But there are other churches. As it turns out, David, though he was called by God, did so many amazing things. We, we looked a little bit last night at one of the real dark times in David's life. And I don't know why I'm picking on him so much lately, but uh, we're going to look at another one of those dark times. There was another one that was quite significant. And it really had to do with how he handled his family, the kind of father he actually was. As it turns out, he was not really that great a father. And it really had lasting problems or repercussions as a result of it. And one of the most significant windows into that issue happened when his sons were still nearby and yet grown. And his daughter Tamar, who was very close to Absalom, and just to give you the full picture, uh, there in, in the custom and society that they lived in, uh, David had more than one wife. Now, why a man would want more than one wife is just, I don't get that at all, at all. But he did. And uh, so he, there were some children in each of these, you know, kind of relationships. And so Tamar was a full sister to Absalom, but a half-sister to Amnon, and there were others. But those are the key players in the story we need to look at. One day, Amnon came to realize that he had quite an infatuation for his half-sister. In fact, he had talked about it to some of his own friends, and his own friends just spurred him on. You need to just go ahead and let her know. Act on it. So finally, he got up what he thought was courage he devised a plan. Tamar came to, at his request, came to nurse him while he was feeling badly. But he wasn't feeling bad at all. And in the end, he forced himself on her and raped her that day. And then as he left, he despised her. As a result, she obviously is shattered, crushed, violated in so many ways. And before too long, Absalom came over just to drop in and say hello, not knowing anything that had taken place. And yet he saw how distraught and troubled Tamar was, and he pressed to find out what was going on. Finally, she told him. Immediately, Absalom was ready to do exactly what Absalom and what Tamar knew Absalom would do, and that is he would go out right now. And he would kill Amnon for what he had done to Tamar. Tamar begged him not to. What we must do, we must tell our father. David will hear this, and when he hears what has happened, he will do what's right, and he'll make this right. So Absalom backed off and believed her. David was informed. He was notified as to everything that had happened. And as a result, David was so enraged and so angry about what had taken place that he did absolutely nothing, not one thing. 
He just treated it as if nothing had taken place. Nothing had happened. And when Absalom finally came to realize that that was the kind of father David was, that that was the kind of man that David was, something shifted inside of Absalom forever. And he came to believe that David was a fraud. His own father was not worthy of his title as king, and he didn't have what it took to be a leader the way God wanted Israel led. Absalom believed that David was a fake as a result of that event. And that began a journey for Absalom that would last him the rest of his life, that finally would motivate Absalom to rise up against his own father, wanting him dead, running him off of the throne, having his own men chasing David through the fields to kill him. Two years after that event, Absalom did take his vengeance. He threw a great big party, a huge event, invited dignitaries from lands nearby. But during that celebration, he had launched the plan that his men and him would rise up and they would kill Amnon in that celebration. And they did exactly that. So Absalom went into a self-imposed exile. Now there's a reason we're going through this much history. Because I want you to feel precisely what was going on in Absalom. He felt very justified in his thinking. He believed that David had failed and was a fraud. And you know, David had failed. But David did something about those failures. Before God, he did something. And something amazing in God happens when we go to him honestly and lay out who we are before him maybe not everybody else but we do it before him and what does he do he goes ahead and he receives us just like he did david forgave david gave him the power and continued to give him the anointing to do what god had called him to do and this is what's true for every one of us if we'll allow God to do that in our life. Regardless of the kinds of failings that we have had in our life, God is ready to empower us, to use us, to bless our life if we will simply go to him and receive that from him. Not hiding anything, not pretending it didn't happen, not denying what we have been or how we have been, but just laying it before him. And this God of love did to David what he would do to you and me, and that is receive David and then bless David, use David for the things that God wanted done. It's an amazing story. But what about this other man, Ahithophel? What was it about Ahithophel? And what had gone on, this great close friend to David? What had happened with him that brought him to a point of turning against David. Well, there's a, with a little study, you come to realize that there's something very sordid about what David had done and how it affected Ahithophel. Because what we talked about last night, this compromise, this sin that David got himself in, where he entered an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. You remember we talked about that last night. Well, it so happens that Ahithophel's granddaughter is Bathsheba and what David had literally done knowing that his very best friend 
the man that he walked in counsel before God with, that David, knowing his family and knowing who his granddaughter was, went ahead with his sin, violated not only Bathsheba, had her husband murdered, took that young life and crushed it in his hand, but he also betrayed his very best friend in the process. This is as ugly as it gets. And yet what happened in Ahithophel when he found out about this, everything changed for him also, just like it had Absalom. And he began a journey and a plotting that he would repay David for what he had done. And it would take years before this came about. For those years, Ahithophel continued to be his friend. This is amazing. He continued to walk in, in counsel with David until a time would come. And the right time came when Absalom returned from exile. Years had passed. Absalom had come back to, to get his will done in that city and in that kingdom. But Ahithophel, the wise old man, had decided Absalom was the perfect pawn to bring about what Ahithophel had wanted for all of these years. He wanted to destroy David just like David had destroyed that young marriage. And now he had Absalom as a pawn to do it with. Is this amazing? So the day came when Absalom's friends and people that Absalom had drawn to himself, they launched this coup against David, rose up to storm the palace, take over the entire kingdom and run David off. In the midst of this, David, knowing this is coming at him, he has a confidant now, a friend, a man named Hushai. These names are, are hysterical to me, and I'm sure we're pronouncing them wrong. <laughs> and when we get to heaven, I'm sure we'll get an education on how all of this should have sounded. But for now, it was Hushai. And Hushai was David's friend and said, I will go with you as you run, and I'll run with you and I'll protect you. But David said, I don't need you to do that. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to stay here, and I need you to pretend to be Absalom's counsel and his friend and the, the Lord will give you wisdom to give Absalom God's ideas that'll bring deliverance to me you see what David knew is that God was still on his side what David knew that even though he was the guy that had really stirred up trouble for Absalom all those years ago and he was the guy that had stirred all of this up that brought Ahithophel's wrath towards him. But what David had done is he had so laid his heart out before God and repented that he saw himself the way God saw him. And that was forgiven and delivered and righteous in God's sight. And David saw that of himself. So he let go of those things. But Absalom didn't do that. He had been violated and he was going to repay Ahithophel didn't go before God. He had been violated. He was going to repay. They could have done exactly what David did, but they didn't do it. They could have let go of things, but they held on because they were going to make it right themselves. Dangerous. 
In the midst of David discovering that it was Absalom and Ahithophel that had come against him, David wrote the 55th Psalm. And that's when he said the things that we've read already. I wish that I had wings like a dove. I'd just fly away. You know, sometimes scrambled eggs just can't be unscrambled. Let's just get out of here. And that's where David was. I want to go through a couple of things here, though, in this prayer to help you see how David was approaching this whole thing and his answer to it at the end of this chapter. Let's back up towards the, the beginning of it. He says, give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me as I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily. He was at least honest. He said, I'm going to complain. I need to do some complaining, Lord. But he said, because the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, they brought trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is pained within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fearlessness and trembling have come upon me. And then he said what we've read, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away. This is a prayer that David's praying. This entire psalm is a prayer that he prays. And here's what's interesting as he prays it. He begins by talking to God about just what we've read, his relationship here and where he was at, how he felt, the pressure he was under, how difficult it was, how escape looked like a good idea. But then he changes in the way he prays. Verse 9, he said, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongue. Now he's talking about these people that have come at him. Destroy them. Divide their tongue. I've seen their violence, strife in the city. Day and night, they go around on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are in, its, in their midst. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from the streets. Then he changes. In, a, in this next verse, there's an entire change. Now, I believe that he was writing these things not all necessarily in the same setting. This may have taken hours and hours, maybe a few days to write. But then he says this in verse 12. He said, it was not an enemy who reproached me. Then I could bear it. Nor was it the one who hates me that has exalted himself against me. Then I could just hide from it. But it was you. He's talking about a Ahithophel. It was you. A man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. The Hebrew word is yada. A covenant friend, somebody that I walked with God with. In fact, he says it, verse 14, we took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in a throng. He said it wasn't somebody else that didn't mean that much to me. It was, it was you, somebody I've walked closely with. And this had cut him deep. Well, of course it would. What's amazing, though, is he does not give any thought as to how this friend had come to be so bitter why wouldn't he give any thought to that because before God he had dealt with this he had dealt with it before God am I making any sense to you in this then he shifts again in his prayer something changes once again he says this he says let death Seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. 
for the for wickedness is in their dwelling and among them you can just feel the shift his emotions are all over the place and then in the very next statement he says as for me i'll call upon god and the lord shall save me and he was right that's what's shocking about me this is amazing his emotions are all over the place and one of the reasons i want to say that to you is because as christians many times we are sort of under the obligation it seems to not have any emotions not that we could not that we could admit and we know we all have them but you can't talk about them or you can't mention certain things we sure don't want to mention the way we feel because after all the way you feel is not as important as the way God wants you to feel and what if we're feeling in a way that doesn't feel like we know God wants us to feel then we can't admit that we feel like that because then we don't feel right and why couldn't we say that because people are not safe enough to say it too now look I'm not suggesting that we should come to church and begin to whine and complain about all of the bad feelings that we have about everybody nobody cares that's really not the point the point however is that we must be honest before God about what's really going on inside of us and not feel like God is the one that is going to reject us because we have those feelings we are safe in his presence we are safe to lay it out before him and if we will lay these things out before him whatever it is that's going on we don't have to lay it out before everybody else but we do have to get these things right before god so what is david going to say as for me i'm going to call on god god will save me now the rest of them they need to go to hell <laughs> now that's <laughs> all right it's a little rough but it's saturday night you know i can't say that on sunday but uh <laughs> evening and morning and noon i'll pray cry out loud he'll hear my voice he's redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me look at that he had peace though this battle was raging against him just for time's sake let's drop down he brings up ahithophel once again verse 20 he said he has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him he's talking about ahithophel again his emotions are still all over the place he's gone from being in victory to being depressed to wanting to escape to being so mad he wants him dead and then rejoicing that god's going to deliver him and now complaining again about the guy that stirred all this trouble up he's put forth his hand against me those who were at peace with him he's broken his covenant now watch this the words of his mouth were smoother than butter but war was in his heart his words were softer than oil yet they were drawn swords in the next verse david gives us the key that solves all of these issues and this is why we've come to this chapter is to read this verse because here's what david said must be done about all of this cast your burden on the lord and he shall sustain you 
He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Isn't that powerful? Cast your burden. Cast your weight. Cast all of the trash that's been on you over on him. Get yourself out from the kind of crisis and pressure and position that you've gotten yourself into and cast this thing over on the Lord. You know, it sounds cliche almost, and yet from David's experience, man, this is what works. You take what's been going on, you roll this on God. God, I cannot unscramble these eggs. I cannot fix this problem, but I can roll this on you. But now watch what has to happen. When I roll this on him, I have submitted myself to him for his direction as to what I must do. Roll your burden on the Lord. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Glory to God. So he's not looking for us to cave or be crushed under the weight of these things. He's looking to do what he does, and that is to lift us up so that when the weight is off, we can stand strong again and begin to see things correctly. Now, with that in mind, I mean, I've got so many things going on in me. But there, there's this other picture I want you to see that David gives us that describes a little bit of how that would look as the Lord reaches in. We've cast our weight on him and how he reaches in to lift us up. The 23rd Psalm, of course, is nearly everybody's favorite psalm. It, it surely is mine. And in the first few verses, are, I mean, the whole thing is just packed. But I want to read the first few verses because there's some light that I want us to get to. And then we're going to pray about some things tonight. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to break, break loose some things in people. Glory to God. But he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or lack, one translation says. I think the Hebrew bears that out. I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He, here it is. He restores my soul and leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I read the book written by a man that had flocks of sheep himself in Africa. And he had studied these verses and he had gleaned a great deal of wisdom from Scripture, but he also had some experience with his sheep, his own sheep. And he said he began to get a whole different picture of that statement. He restores my soul from his own experience as a shepherd. He said, you know, uh, from time to time, one sheep, one of the, do you call them one sheep? I guess you do. A sheep. Yeah, that's right. Didn't sound right. We don't care. He said, from time to time, one, one will, will just run off. He said, you have the whole flock, and then from time to time, all of a sudden, you realize one of them is taken off. And he said, he said in, the, uh, in the heat of Africa, he said, the, the heat can be so, so hot. He said, you come to realize there are some serious dangers for this little sheep on its own. The obvious, of course, is there are predators. So you want to get to that sheep as quickly as possible just to protect them from the, the predators. But there's also another problem that's 
just as dangerous, really. It'll kill them also. And he said it's something that happens after, uh, after sheep have eaten a fair amount, and as they are grazing, they decide they want to just lie down and rest for a little while. And he said what can happen if they're not careful about where they lie down, if it's an uneven spot, he said this has happened more than just once. He said that little sheep will have a full belly, lie down, and then without planning this will end up rolling all the way onto its back with its legs sticking up in the air and it cannot right itself. He said it's a pathetic sight when you finally find that sheep in in this upside-down, helpless position because now this sheep is not only still very vulnerable to a predator coming, but in that hot African sun, the gases of their stomach will begin to expand after having eaten, and he said it can be just less than an hour, and their stomach has expanded to the point they can't breathe and they can die just from that out under that hot African sun. So that little sheep is in serious trouble without even trying. All that little sheep was doing was getting something to eat and find a nice spot to lie down. And that little animal's about to die. Things happen. Life can be messy. We don't plan for the messes that we cause either, but they still have happened. And so here's what the Holy Spirit showed this shepherd, and I think it's a great picture, when he said the, that the Lord restores our soul. When that shepherd finds that sheep, those spindly little legs sticking straight up in the air, cannot right itself, got itself in more trouble than it can figure out how to get out of, the shepherd sees that sheep runs to it and begins the process, doesn't take long, reach under that little critter and begin to turn him over, get him back on his feet. It may take a while to get circulation back in those legs where they can actually walk, but as soon as the circulation's back and they can walk, man, they're off for the flock. They want back where they were. They'd like to get it back to that safe place. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in us, finds us when we are in a cast upside down position and he's ready to write things on the inside of our life so that we can get back to where we belong, casting our burden on the Lord and knowing that we're safe in his presence to do it. I believe the Holy Spirit pointed these things to me, pointed me to this tonight for you. Because I believe God wants to restore some things that each person here would have a different story as to why it's applicable to you. But the Holy Spirit's ready to reach inside of every one of us and turn things right side up. And so here's what he's telling us to do. I know it by the Holy Spirit. That once again, this wouldn't be the first time, no doubt, that you've done this, but regarding your current situation or even crisis, fresh and new, we cast our burden on the Lord. We take the weight and the pressure of what we cannot fix. David couldn't fix Absalom. David couldn't fix Ahithophel. He could not fix what had happened, but he dealt with himself. And when he dealt with himself, 
He got things right before God, and he went on to be a, the greatest king Israel ever had. Ahithophel, Absalom, they could have done the same thing, let go of what they had, had happened to them. Though they felt extremely justified in what they were doing to David, they were wrong. You say, yeah, but David brought all this. No, wait a minute. That's not God's point of view. Because regardless of what comes at us, we are still the one that has to roll or cast our burden on the Lord. And while David was a part of Absalom's burden, so to speak, it was Absalom's responsibility to cast that over on the Lord and let God heal and restore and deal with this thing. History could have turned out very different for Absalom. Didn't end up well at all for him. During that time of running after David, suddenly, as a result of Hushai's directions and counsel, everything shifted. And it wasn't just a very short time, and David's people were chasing Absalom down. He was running for his life when his hair got caught in a tree, and he hung there helplessly until David's soldiers came and ran him through. It didn't end well for Hithphel either. When Hushai's counsel came to Absalom in the first place, Ahithophel realized that Absalom was making a decision that was going to allow David to escape. When Ahithophel realized that all that he had been planning for all of those years had failed, he went and hung himself in despair. It didn't have to end that way for Ahithophel. It didn't have to end that way for Absalom. Why did these two great people have these things happen? Why did God allow that to them to happen to them? God didn't allow it. He didn't have anything to do with it. But they had put themselves in such a place that instead, and to use this example, instead of allowing the sacrifice of Jesus to pay the price, they bore the price themselves. Nobody has to bear the price themselves. We don't have to carry the price for these failings in our own life. Jesus did pay the price. But if we refuse that avenue and that direction, we end up paying the price ourselves. It's not pretty. So the Holy Spirit has come tonight. I realize in this kind of an audience, man, we know the Lord here. This is an audience of people that the vast majority, I'd say 99% of us, maybe 100, already know Jesus. You already know you're going to heaven. If you don't, you're in the right place. This is a place to find out and know that it's, it's true and settled. But what I also find is we've got believers that are living so beneath where God has designed them to live because of some of these kinds of issues that we're talking about. They haven't released and let go. They haven't cast their burden on the Lord. And so tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to take the time for that to happen. I want you to stand with me if you would. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence here tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you're reaching into our life, into our soul, helping us see, helping us see ourselves. God, give us eyes to see not only you, not only your power, but help us to see ourselves in the light of these truths. Give us those kind of eyes. Holy Spirit, I know you're speaking to people all over this audience as to the kind of weight and burden they carry right now. Have your way in us, Holy Spirit. 
Do your work in us, Holy Spirit. Say the things to us that I personally wouldn't know what to say, but you do. Give light on to those issues and things within us that only you can bring. Help us see the dark corners or the bad decisions or the, the weight that we're carrying that you now are directing and commanding us to cast over on you. So here's what I want each one of you to do. I want you to take this current crisis that's going on in you. You've been hurt, violated. You've carried, maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time. Maybe these are old, old, old issues, just like it was with this man Ahithophel. Or maybe it's something very fresh, something very current. Maybe it's something you stirred up yourself. Maybe it's something that was just done to you, it was unjust. Regardless of the source, the responsibility now remains in our hands to take this thing that we cannot fix, and we're casting this over on you, God. Oh, God, we cast this over on you.